All right. Let me go back a little bit before the uh, <coughs> public school protests. Uh, one day, Charlie Oldham had Bob Witherspoon and myself over his house. He had a young fellow there. His name was Bill Clay. And he was running for the board of aldermen. And I remember asking Charlie, you mean to tell me this little boy? <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, the three of us, Charlie Oldham, Bob Witherspoon, and myself, put up the first money to get Bill Clay launched I just went back to the retrospect there uh, because I was starting to talk about Bill Clay. Frank Madison Reed, Bill Clay, Charlie Oldham, and I were the primary movers behind the uh, school board demonstration. Uh, Frank Madison Reed was the leader. He was a spiritual leader of it. Uh, before we had to completely organize, he was transferred to Baltimore. So I became the spokesman for the group. And uh, it was, I remember that so well, the march, the demonstration, and so forth. We had a tremendous number of people down there uh, at the Board of Education. We had our speeches from the top of a truck. Uh, the <coughs> police were there in plain clothes to protect us. Uh, there were rumors, not rumors, but some thugs had started over with chains and that type of thing. Police had intercepted them. But uh, we had a demonstration. We dismissed, uh, and we had the people to clean up behind themselves. It was just the street was spotless when we left, and uh, the demonstration got national attention. And uh, I think we accomplished a lot. So we were able to have much better. Uh, <coughs> conversation with the school board administration and so forth. That was hickey back in those times. And, uh, what were your goals? Our goals were integration of the school system. Was, uh, through busing, it was reduction of class sizes. Uh, those were the primary goals. And this was 1963 in Augustine, and Brown versus the Board of Education had been 54, but no substantial progress had been made by the <laughs> And was there a need to follow this up with anything? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> we followed up over a period of time with meetings, uh, with public meetings, with private meetings, with and that type of thing. And we were able to substantially get most of the things in the Um. There was a lot going on in 1963. Yeah. And you were, you were involved in Jefferson Bank also. Yes. Well, uh, not one of the leaders of the Jefferson Bank demonstration itself. I was one of the supporters. Uh, at that time, <coughs> let's see, <coughs> CORE was very active. Well, I guess I was active with it because I was appointed the treasurer of CORE. Uh, the, he started out as head of the fundraising for the Jefferson Bank demonstration. And uh, uh, 
I helped to raise the money to support the demonstration. So I guess maybe I did play an important part in it. Uh, the part I was thinking of speaking of periphery was that I did galvanize the medical community uh, and the professionals into going down and doing their own personal demonstration because the uh, movement was getting a bad name. A bunch of ne'er-do-wells were down there picketing and that type of thing. And, uh, we wanted to demonstrate the entire community was behind this effort and that's why we did that. Uh, we did raise quite a bit of money to help them. Uh, I was the treasurer. I did speak from the uh, courthouse steps and that type of thing. And we had various meetings around the community. And, uh, I remember one time I got up in the pool and got a dollar out of my pocket and said, this almighty dollar is the only thing they respect. And, uh, well, it was, uh, it was an interesting time. It was a very, very Education did your sons begin? Where did they go to you know, school? My son, I was there's a time of the educational process, the demonstration against the school board and everything. Uh, my wife and I both had come up through the St. Louis public school system. I was determined that uh, what was good enough for us was good enough for them. They would get a public school education. My wife convinced me that maybe I was wrong. And so uh, we sent the kids to Webster School. Uh, that was one of these new experimental schools. Oh. Uh, Webster Experimental School, yeah. But uh, I think. And Webster I, College. Webster College, yes. Webster College Experimental School. Uh, 
I think about the second day I came home, and those kids were looking at encyclopedias, and they were so excited about learning. I realized that uh, I had been completely wrong, and that I didn't want other types of education for my kids the best that they could possibly have. Uh, later, my kids were all very bright. All of them went to the uh, special schools and this type of thing. My oldest son was the first black admitted out to John Burroughs. How did they come about? Well, he applied. I, I don't really remember the details of it. But he did apply, and he was accepted. I remember I was a little bit upset because uh, they had promised scholarship aid. And uh, when he was accepted, about the scholarship. They had the chairman of the board and uh, two or three board members come by my house and sit down and talk with me about it. And they had to send a financial statement out with it. And I uh, said, Doc, it's just impossible for us to give your son a, a uh, scholarship uh, because your financial statement is better than all the hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he, he did go out there. He had several experiences. He had one fellow, a little Jewish boy, and uh, he would come and cry to my son because his father, they would not let his father in the country clubs. My son had to be sympathetic and so forth. And all the problems he had, he built that this was a very minor, very minor thing. But he did well. Um, I think he was elected president of his class and that type of thing. He did well. In fact, yes, he's on the board of John Burroughs now. Did he start in the seventh grade? Did he start in the beginning? Of no. No, he started in the high school level. Tenth grade? Tenth grade. No, really. It's seven through twelve. I think he did start in the seventh grade. I think he did start in the seventh grade. Or eighth. Maybe, maybe not the initial. I don't remember the details. Now, we, we just really kind of glossed over something very, um, well, it's very important, and sometimes being the first is can be uh, a traumatic experience. Um, well, I think it was a traumatic experience for him. He, uh, <coughs> he's a bright boy. But they had the cliques. The girls had theirs, the boys had theirs. He was not a member of it. He would get invited to one or two parties. Not, uh, he was not in the mainstream. Uh, I think it was psychologically uh, difficult for him. When he finished Burroughs, he went up to Harvard. And uh, I went to Morehouse College. Quite a bit about Morehouse College. Uh, we were proud to have him in Harvard, to have him accepted. But I, every year, two or three occasions, I kept asking him would he like to transfer to Morehouse. Uh, but I think he, he was having, uh, well, he had his own crowd because in Boston, uh, they had blacks in several of the different schools. They had their own black society as such. 
uh, in retrospect, I sort of uh, wished that he had gone down to Morehouse. Uh, but the waters over the dam was an exceptionally bright, steady uh, individual down quite well. Why did you want him at Morehouse? I wanted him at Morehouse because uh, of the black social contact, not social as well as uh, ideological. You see all the blacks there, the professors, uh, they are the bankers in Atlanta, uh, they are the builders in Atlanta, uh, that type of thing. And, uh, I just felt that that type of grassroot thing would be good for them. Now, I think that's also good for everybody to have your basic grassroots black. Uh, you can, several of them were out going to white schools and that type of thing, but they had an organization on the Jack and Jill, it's a black social organization that has affairs for the kids of different age groups and so forth. Uh, their mother always had them active with Jack and Jill, and that, that gave them their basic black roots, which I think was very good. And associations, as well as block that they grew up in. <laughs> Um. Now, that was another interesting thing, too. Uh, I always, I could never, I was never a good swimmer myself, but I always wanted my children to learn how to swim. I promised them if they would learn how to swim, I'd get them a swimming pool. So all of them learned how to swim. And uh, the yard on Windmere Place was too small. So I bought a house over on Windmere that did have a swimming pool. Had about ten very happy years there, and I think they were, my oldest daughter got married, and not got married in the house, got married in the church, but had a reception there at the house. And I thought it was pretty beautiful. Um, what would you like to come in or bring up as far as what you've done, what we haven't discussed, uh, that you think is? Well, let's take the junior college, St. Louis Junior College District uh, Board. Uh, some people asked me to run for the board. I got in the race at the last minute for all the practical purposes. And <coughs> was an outsider. It was a citywide election. And, uh, I didn't think about it. Well, I don't see that. I wouldn't have gotten in it. I didn't think I could have been elected. But to have a black run citywide, Suicide. So at that time, I was active in, with Benny Goins, and Benny Goins took me over to the South Side. Now, in black politics, you never went to the South Side. You show your face over there, they automatically vote against you. Benny Goins took me to the South Side. I went to the various ward meetings. I could see the ladies shaking their heads, the men shaking their heads, and so forth. And I got a pretty good vote. One other thing, too. I have five children, and I got a piece of literature, a family piece of literature, my wife, my five children, and myself, and we distributed that wide. People saying, I want to vote with that man for that man with those kids. But I was elected uh, citywide, and I was one of the first black ever elected citywide. And uh, that was an interesting experience. And uh, then the Governor, 
California, the state court of healing arts. That was Hearns. That was primarily through Katie Cohen's influence. Then Kit Vaughn appointed me to the state board of education. And I was president of the junior college district board at the time. And we were looking for a new president of the district. And I couldn't accept the state board of education job because they wanted me to stay there until we elected the final president, which I did. And then I resigned and went on to the state board of education. But the first job that the state board of registration with healing arts was very, it was the first black appointed to that board. I never will forget. We went up there and there was a little bit of tension. The board had never had a black member before. They didn't know exactly what in the world to expect. So they had one fella who had just been to the islands and had come back with a tan. Remarked about it. I said, well, now you have quite a tan there. That looks pretty good. Yeah, I've been to the islands. I said, well, I have mine and I didn't have to go any place. And everybody laughed. And from then on, we had no problems, no stiffness, no formality or anything. Just man on man after that. You have a way, Dr. Williams, you obviously know how to be with people in the best possible sense and bring the best out of them. Well, I can diffuse a situation sometimes, which I do that through some type of obtuse or direct humor. That helps. I think in the beginning and even now, I think some people who just are not used to a change, they just are uncomfortable. And it's their own inadequacies, I believe, that make them that way. Well, you can get lonesome in a crowd sometimes, too. I have a picture up there shaking hands with Lyndon Johnson. At one time, the Chicago Defender, and that was a leading black newspaper in the country, they had, each year they had what they call a round table of business. And they would elect people from all over the country. I somehow was elected as a businessman to Chicago Defender's round table. And we had an award dinner up in Washington, D.C., and part of it was going to the White House to meet the President. And that was an interesting thing. Interesting? Is it an understatement? Yeah. It was exciting. It was nice. I've had my back to this wall. I'm glad you had me turn around. This wall is filled with awards. Well, Kit Vaughn and I had a pretty good relationship. He had me appointed to the State Board of Education, and then later on he appointed me to St. Louis Police Board, too. It was for a relatively short term. 
but uh, and then I was to be reappointed. Uh, he made sure that uh, the current governor would reappoint me. Uh, <coughs> uh, but while I was on the police board, always the promotions are always the major factor promotions. And while I was on there, we had two blacks promoted to lieutenant colonel. That was something that had never happened. Nobody ever believed it would happen. Nobody figured it could possibly happen. And yet it did happen. And uh, I think the board, there was a lot of maneuvering and uh, that type of thing, but at any rate, let's say it did happen. It did happen. Uh, when you would be involved in these things, and you could honestly see through your efforts people beginning to change their minds around the table, or to whether they changed their minds had to be swayed in some possible way, uh, how did you feel? That must have been very exciting. Oh, that was exciting, yes, but uh, the excitement was lost in the negotiations of his work. <laughs> it was uh, wheeling and dealing and negotiating. You, know. uh, you always have to have the people out on the streets. You always have to have the people behind the scenes. I pride myself in being one of those behind the scenes that uh, make things happen. But the only way I can make things happen is by having an activist out there in the streets and then I go behind the scenes and help create and get what they've been demonstrating for. Because when you have the activists out there, you have a head-on clash and collision and nothing is. And then you have to go behind closed door and negotiate and that type of thing. The activists, such as you know, Irene Perry or Percy Green um, or Charles Cohn, how did those people, uh, and I'm not lumping them all together because they were all individual, but how did that, um, and they each had their, their place uh, of action, so to speak, and, uh, and did their part? How did that affect what you were trying to do? Right. Uh, it set the stage for it. Uh, they would get out sometimes with ridiculous antics, uh, stopping traffic, chaining themselves, and so forth. Uh, number one, it would uh, galvanize and activate the black community. Uh, number two, it would anger and antagonize and sort of frighten the white community. They don't know what these black people are say. And uh, in that frame of mind, uh, uh, they were ready to negotiate. Now, not, I, I was in on some of the things, not the majority of my enemy, but uh, things have happened, they have been accomplished, and uh, I was glad to have been, been a minor part of it. But it took everybody. It took everybody, yes. Um, we haven't really talked about Gateway Bank as such. Um, no, I wanted to ask you one question okay. before we talk.
talked about Gately Bank. Um, why do you suppose, with all the essential ingredients that were there, that St. Louis really never had a way of, of, of dimension? I think it's because of the leadership in St. Louis. Uh, when I'm talking in terms of leadership, I'm not talking in terms of any, uh, I'm talking about the ministers, the Methodists, the Baptists. I'm talking about we've had strong Catholic uh, uh, leadership here. We've been incisive and doing things, progressive and so forth. And I, I, I think that type of thing. We've had a very strong Jewish Fleischmann was uh, very active in diffusing situations and uh, talking with people and so forth. I think it's the overall leadership that has helped as far as that was concerned. Uh, tempers were high, they were high. You know, the city was ready to explode. But I think everybody acting in concert from different things were able to diffuse things. And I think that. Uh, the city fathers saw what was happening and they gave some. I think that was important. And, and was it because, was, did it have anything to do with the fact that it's a main partially, partially a southern state and um, the Negroes in it just weren't they say sometimes it was in the water. <laughs> they, it didn't. They just didn't rise up. No, no, no. no. That's been St. said. Louis. That's why I'm asking. No, St. Louis is a city, and I, I think the uh, urban is an urban population, and uh, perhaps it was considered, or is considered, southern or midwestern. No, I don't think the, there was no basic black attitude which would negate a uh, demonstration. No. I think it was perhaps the leadership and uh, that type of thing that helped diffuse that type of situation more than and, and because when you, for instance, when you did your protest at the Board of Education, you engaged the police, obviously there was much preparation and thought going into that. So then Martin Luther King died in the morning march. I believe. What part did you play in that? I did not play any part. But if the preparations were taken. Oh yeah, definitely. See. Definitely. So, uh, the school board demonstration, referring to that, the police. We, Joe Clark and I, went down and talked to the police and told them exactly what we were going to do and how we were going to do and uh, that type of thing. Uh, they knew it in advance. Uh, we could not get a city permit for the march, but we told them where we would be, how we would be, what we were going to be doing, and that type of thing, and enlisted their cooperation. Uh, and were they cooperative? Very much so. Very much so. Very much so. I mean, when you think about it, they had uh, a 
lots of black officers in plain clothes among the crowd and there to see and protect us on the time. Yes, sir. All right, let's talk about the Gateway Bank. How did it come, tell me what it is and how did it come to be? Well, this day, Gateway Bank is the only black bank in the state. Uh, we did have another one in Kansas City, but it pulled in about uh, 10, 15 years ago. A group of young fellows had the vision of getting a bank. Uh, uh, they started it, uh, they pushed it, and then they found out that they had to have money. That they had what? Had to have money. They couldn't start it without money, they didn't have any money. They laid the roots and the foundations for it. So they came to uh, Ben Davis, to uh, Dr. Ben Davis. Dr. Ben Davis, they came to Gates, to James Hurt and Pat Robinson. And uh, we had some money, but at any rate, we were able to put up the necessary finances for it. Uh, some of them were washed out of the situation because they could not participate because they didn't have the finances and so forth. But at any rate, I remember one day, working, we've been meeting, we've been putting up money and pledging and so forth. And then the charter came through and I said, I sat down and I said, oh my God, we've got a bank. <laughs> 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 so we set about getting uh, officers and that type of thing and it, uh, it started off doing pretty well. However, uh, we ran it as a social Giving people loans that perhaps were not deserving, that we felt that they were black and they were trying to do a good job. The bank had never really made a lot of money. It did best when we brought Owen Funderburg up here. Uh, he'd been in a bank in North Carolina, an experienced banker through the years. We were together down in Morehouse College. And uh, perhaps I was instrumental in bringing him, but he did a tremendous job in turning the bank around and getting it straight. And then following him, we had David Hoffman. Before then, we had not really had the type of leadership uh, on the uh, administrative side that we needed. Ben Davis was chairman of the board. He had the majority stock. He was a very good leader. Uh, when Ben resigned the reins, I became chairman of the board. Uh, that was uh, the one from the bird, and then Dave Hoffman. The end of Dave Parker's reign, things started getting a little bit out of hand. I was voted out of office and Cliff Gates was voted in. In retrospect, I think it was uh, time that happened. But uh, since then, the bank had not been very well. Um, in 1987, we lost a half a million dollars. In 1988, we lost $300,000. Middle of 1988, the board saw some changes had to be made. We had brought in a new president, Gerard uh, Hankins from Milwaukee. Uh, they elected me chairman in June of 88. And I think in 1989, 
Google and I completely reversed the trend and tried to make a profit of about $200,000. So, in the uh, two years' time, that's a swing of uh, about a half a million dollars towards the black. And I think that's, that's perhaps a pretty tremendous accomplishment, but we're pretty proud of what's happening in America. And that, that was started in 65, I believe? 65, yes. I remember we had Andrew Grimmer now to speak uh, at that time. Uh, Howard Lewis. And I'm trying to think Howard Lewis might have been one of the original members of the world. How would you, how would you, was this a, a shoot off of the, the Jefferson Bank? Uh? Yes, it was. <coughs> yes, it was. Uh, feelings were high. Uh, 